Second Peter chapter 3 and the 8th verse there, our dear brother Peter says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we are small, and you are not small, Lord. You are bigger and more vast than we can comprehend. But I thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come to you knowing you are merciful and gracious and loving, Father, that you will do good for us, and we can come expectantly and boldly, Lord, humbly, yes, but understanding, Lord, that the great, big, wonderful God works for us, loves us, and cares for us. Help us to see as you see, Father, and present our lives to you to do with what you choose. Bless us this morning as we consider your word. Be honored, be glorified, Father, and help us to be grown by it, I ask. All of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not lost on us as we consider often that the Lord is big. Uh, There is a song, I just actually said the title of it there, A Great Big Wonderful God, I believe that it is, perhaps a Sunday school song, I don't remember uh, if it was just a kid's song or what, but there's that great big wonderful uh, God song, there's the, well, (laughs) our kids grew up with veggie tales, I don't know about some of you, but there's that one song, God is bigger than the boogeyman, perhaps a little tongue in cheek, but the truth is still there, he's bigger than all of those things, a number of other songs, he's got the whole world in his hands, so on and so forth, we understand that God is Big, his makeup and his composition, who he is as the God of all. Huge. He's just, he's vast. He's all every place. We understand this. And as we just looked here at our opening verse there, a thousand years when we consider a millennium, I mean, a millennium ago was the year 1023, right? I mean, that was the Middle Ages. I mean, that was eons ago, before electricity, before, you know, Ah, before any of the things that we comprehend is just being day to day. A thousand years is but a day to him. God is big. We consider it oftentimes and look at some of the same verses that we, that we have looked at in the past. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, when Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not gotten it by now? He says, to anybody who might be listening. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Everything about him is something beyond what we can comprehend. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein, it says in Psalm 24.1. In Isaiah 55.9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's not arrogant. He's not boastful. He's not bragging. He's just straight fact. And he just tells you and tells us so that we might not cower before him, but that we might come boldly before him, trusting him, humbly before him, understanding how big he is, how capable he is, how weak we are certainly and incapable on our own, on our own, well, by our own steam. But he's capable of well, satisfying every need and every situation. When you're as big and powerful as the Lord is, everything else is small by comparison. And I mean everything. There's nothing as large as God is. And that's something worth remembering, something worth considering. 
when we encounter different things from time to time, when we walk through our respective days, our respective weeks and months and years of our lives, when we encounter those things that feel so, man, so big to us, it's good to sit and we'll take, not just take inventory, but just look at it for what it is and consider in regards to our God. How big is this to God? Now, that doesn't mean that we say to ourselves, well, if God's as bigger than I don't have to have any fear in this. I don't have to be concerned. He'll just ah, just shove it over to him. We do leave our needs before his feet. We do set things down sometimes and almost step away, washing our hands up and say, Lord, take care of this. There are times when we need to leave them at his feet and not even give it a, a second thought. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there are those things that this is our mess. <laughs> This is our bed. Whether we made it or not, this is what we have to sleep in. We have to deal with things. We have to get our hands into the mix, well, not just from time to time, oftentimes. But we need to stop and consider as something that we have to deal with might feel overwhelming to us, might feel bigger than anything that we can deal with. We have to recognize and stop and think, just how big is this to God, the one who's in charge, the one who... By his strength, I can do all things. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But the one who is with me, who is guiding me, who is empowering me and enabling me, the one who is working in me, this one who is the overseer of all things, just how big is is this situation, is this issue, is this conflict, is this hurt? How big is this to God? Especially in regards to size. Uh, We're going to... Take a look at that this morning. Take a look at some things and how God views them. How does God view these things that may seem so big or, contrarily, so small to us? How does he view these things? Well, the first thing we'll look at is just how small big things are. Um, If you turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, we'll go back there and look at a verse there. I've been to Washington, D.C. a number of times. Perhaps some of you have. I know some of you have vacationed there. Seen the Capitol. I've been in the Capitol. I've stood in front of the the White House. Never been inside of the White House. It always takes me aback when I stand there at the front gates of the White House and I look out on the lawn and all that. And It's right in the middle of the city, which never... You know, when I used to watch CBS World News Tonight, you know, and they showed the White House, I was like, man, it's often like a prairie someplace. No, that's not how it is at all. It just has this lawn, smack dab in the middle of the city, homeless people over here, protesters over there, and bunches of snipers up on top of the, on top of the White House. And I remember standing there, and I think, thought to myself as I was at, in front of the gate, I was like, I'm pretty fast. How far would I make it, you know, before they just picked me off? You know, I wouldn't make it over the gate. That's, that's the bottom line. You wouldn't make it over the fence. If they really felt that there was a threat, they picked me right off of that thing. And it dawned on me just how in the presence of power that I was. Uh, you know, my life could end right then. When you stand in the Capitol, it's kind of the heartbeat of the most powerful nation in the world. Now, they're competitors, certainly. And there are other ones who would challenge. And, and you know, we won't remain, I don't believe, the most powerful country in the world indefinitely. I I don't think that that's the case. That's not how the world works. But we are for the time being. When you stand there in the Capitol and you look around, you're like, this is where it happens. I'm not exactly proud of everything that comes out of this joint. (laughs) But there's power here. There's, it's kind of impressive when you look at those things. I've been to London on the world stage, you know, you look at, here's their capital. This is parliament. Here's Buckingham Palace. It's a 
figurehead, but it's the queen. Not anymore. But it's the king. It's the king of England sitting there. There's world power that's there. Big places, big cities, big government. Global issues. Man, those things can be impressive. It's the world we're talking about. Uh, Not so much to the Lord, right? In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. (laughs) I like how he says that. We got this from the Bible. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Not found in the Bible. Drop in a bucket, right there in Scripture. Uh, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Negligible. Nothing on his scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as... Nothing. And they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Now, this is speaking of a time to come, certainly. Uh, it has some prophetic value here. But just looking at it strictly from the perspective that we're looking at it this morning in regards to size. How big is wor- the world to God? A drop in a bucket. Small dust on the scales. The world's systems and powers, they're nothing in comparison to him. How, how does he view them? That's nothing, less than nothing, and worthless as far as value to him for the, in, in their own face value. How should we feel about these things? That doesn't mean I should feel like an idiot next time I go in, in the Capitol and just say, this is nothing, you know, or stand in front of the White House. You can't hurt me. I'm coming in. I have my rights. You know, they'll take me out right there. And, and you don't know who my God is, pal. You know, that's not what we're looking at here. You honor those things. And we recognize authority for what it is. God tells us to. Romans 13 and verse 1. He says we should honor the authorities that are there. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. He's put these things in place. He has set this process in motion. Has established this for us. For better or for worse on a natural level. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That's pretty substantial. God doesn't say, hey, go thumb your nose to these things that are nothing to me. No, he says, you're small. I'm large. These things are nothing to me, but I have this in order for you for the time being. He has reason for that. Young people, he has you with a couple of people. A couple of people who you will grow up and at some point in your life, probably around the age of 14, you're going to think, these people don't know anything. (laughs) And you'll get to 16, you're like, yep, I was right. They don't know beans. 18, 19, 20, you know, when your first plumbing breaks in your house, you'll think, maybe they know a little more. And I'm going to call the ones that know. You know, you start recognizing, maybe they weren't quite as uh, not knowing as I thought that they were. Um, that being said, he has put you, he's put you in submission to your parents, put you in a place of submission so that you might recognize what authority is, what submission is. If you can submit to someone who ultimately you will find is not your superior intellectually, perhaps not your superior spiritually, when you get to a certain age and a certain understanding is not your superior, but just as a person, just as you with flaws and and failures and all of those things. If you can submit to that person, wives, I'm looking at you as well. You are given the opportunity to learn how to submit to someone then who is vastly our superior, vastly wiser and intellectual. And you have a good leg up. 
when you get to that place and you recognize, I must submit to the Lord God. And so he puts us in these places that we submit to these authorities and we look at those ones who are above us and think, my goodness, <laughs> who, is, who is that guy? And I'll leave it at that. You've thought that, I'm confident. Any number of presidents, governors, mayors, you thought, man, I feel like I could do such a much better job than this. Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. But you submit because that's what the Lord has for us. Uh, he tells us we need to pray for those ones. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Not just submit blindly, not just say, oh, just go with the flow here. There's nothing I can do. Uh, I, you know, God has it all in hand. I'm, I'm, I, you know, what do I have to do? Yeah, you, you do have something to do. Whether the Lord leads you to vote or not, this is what we do. I always told those ones who questioned my, well, I felt my conviction that I wasn't to vote. And that may or may not be your conviction. And those ones who questioned my conviction, I explained to them, listen, I vote every single day uh, when I talk to the Lord and I ask him to put in place whom he will put in place. And as soon as he tells me, you know, go cast your vote, I'll do it. But until then, I do seek, well, I seek wisdom. And I seek strength for those ones who are in power. And I seek for the Lord who is an overarching, overall power to put in place those ones, uh, whether I like them or not. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us why. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, I don't want to get too political, but I saw a news clip here recently that, well, that North Korea sent a satellite up in space. Perhaps you heard it. That guy that runs the place over there, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him, and I couldn't throw him very far. And now they have a satellite up there, and the headline that I saw was, North Korea sits down and examines satellite photos of the United States. Uh, you know, I don't know that those satellite photos might not be any clearer than a Polaroid. I'm not sure what the quality, <laughs> what the quality is of that North Korean satellite, but it might be absolutely incredible. And that guy, if he had the authority and he had the capability and he had the, well, the means to wipe us off of the earth, he might just do that. And that might just make me a little bit nervous because I think he's unhinged, and I don't mind saying it. I think he's unhinged, but God put him in place. And as I look at him and I think, whew, that's just a little bit scary, man, I talk to the Lord about it and say, Lord, Mr. Kim is not anything that you are not in full control of. And you'll allow what you choose. And so I trust him for it. I pray for those ones. Make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks even for those ones who are in authority. Do we honor and pray for those ones? Yes, we do. Do we exalt their greatness? Do we exalt their... Capability? Do we exalt the position that they have to a place that's higher than the Lord would have us to? Absolutely not, we don't. <laughs> Perish the thought even. Uh, the most high rules in the kingdom of men, Daniel says. I love this passage. He gives it to whomever he will, and he sets over it the lowest of men. So when you see, my goodness, what is going on with our leaders, whatever the situation might be, Ah, we come back to Daniel 4.17 and recognize these are indeed perhaps the lowest of men. So God's will is being done 100%. So I trust him for that. Listen, don't think that world powers, world governments, world authorities, all of these things are so big that the Lord is taken aback by these things or 
puzzled by these things, troubled by these things, as we might find ourselves. Oh, the Lord is in full control. He's bigger than all of these, all of these things, and they're nothing to him. Now, a bit more close to home, perhaps, than North Korea's satellites say, we might consider something more near to us, like our health. How, how big is that to God? How big, how grand is physical capability to us? I played football with the young guys here recently. Oh, young guys, there are some young women out there too, forgive me. I was playing with all the guys the other day, guys and gals. And I realized, you know, these little kids that I held like babies, they're faster than I am now. They're, str- they're stronger than I am now. Uh, I still tend to break them, you know, and I didn't get broken. But I, if you didn't hear, I helped Josiah to break his collarbone, <laughs> collarbone the other day. He ran into me. Fortunately, nothing on me gave. I'm still bigger than he is. But my physical capability is not lost on me or anybody else that I was playing with the other day. It's not lost on me. My physical capability isn't what it once was. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, am, I embrace age, honestly. I embrace getting older to a certain extent because, number one, I'm closer to him. I mean, come on. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And every morning that I wake up, it's not, thank goodness I have one more day on the earth. It means I have, thank the Lord, I have one less day. <laughs> one less day here. And I'll be with him soon enough. That being said, I embrace age. And with that age, unfortunately, there is the, well, the loss of health oftentimes and the loss of physical capability. We understand that. Uh, you can turn to Judges chapter 16. Um, I, I don't follow bodybuilding, trust me. But I know the name Ronnie Coleman. When I was a kid, Ronnie Coleman was, I mean, he was the man. He was a Mr. Universe guy. He was the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the 90s and early 2000s, I believe. Huge, huge guy. Passed by a picture of him the other day, a little interview of him. The guy's a wreck. His body is so broken down, he has to use crutches. No longer strong anymore. <laughs> uh, physical capability is something that is fleeting, and it leaves us. Um, but God doesn't even have to wait for time for that physical capability to be nothing to him. He doesn't have to wait for it to, to time to pass and our physical capability and our health to go. He can take care of it and take it immediately. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 20, that strongest man perhaps that ever lived, perhaps. Uh, well, he was defeated, lost his strength after a haircut. Uh, it was God that removed that strength. But just like that, just like that, it was removed from him. You know what happened. Delilah, Delilah had cut his hair after he had told her well, a number of different misleading things and she tried to test him and do those things so that she might uh, betray him to the Philistines. Ultimately, he gave. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, in verse 20 of Judges 16. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at, as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Lord didn't need the haircut to take place. The Lord didn't need to have this certain set of circumstances to take place to remove his strength from him. He could have killed him on the spot. But my point is that these things that we hold so dear to us, these physical bodies and our health and the physical capabilities that we have, we try to hold on to so, so tightly that we elevate and exalt. And, and, well, even we can even take some guilty pleasures in our health and think ourselves something and, and, and lose our humility because we are, 
well, healthy and capable of doing some things. God can remove those from you in a moment. The Lord departed from this one while he slept, for goodness sake. Just like that, he doesn't need to wait for time. He doesn't need to sit and say, man, I just wish Samson would just get older so he'd get weaker. He said, no, your time is over as far as this capability that you have. You see that man, Goliath, that one who was some nine feet tall, physically intimidating to everybody, had a king. For all intents and purposes, shaking in his boots, he didn't go out and take care of business with this man. God didn't sweat this one. You remember Andre the Giant? That guy was like seven plus tall. I was going, I was going to throw a picture up there just so you could see how big and impressive this man was. But I wanted you to see the size of his hand, but every time they showed his hand, he was holding a beer. I didn't feel like that was really you know, suitable for this. And he was wearing a leotard. I didn't think that that was suitable either. So I'll spare you the visuals, but he was a big man. <laughs> And Goliath stood a good head, head and shoulders above Andre the giant, who stood a head and shoulders above everybody else. And Goliath wanted to kill David. And he wanted to kill whomever else came out. He looked at them and he counted the threat from anybody, well, being as though he was being treated as a dog, and he wanted to slit the throats of those ones. God didn't sweat him. First Samuel seventeen forty nine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it. And struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. I read it kind of ho-hum because it almost was that. There was no soundtrack to David's fight with Goliath. Movies have been made of it, and it can be dramatized and all that sort of thing. And it is dramatic, don't get me wrong. you got an army over there, an army over here, little guy on this side, big guy on this side. Death is going to happen. There would have been some cheers. There were swords. There was a setting of, you know, there in, in Israel. I mean, it would have been impressive. But when it comes right down to it, Goliath was squawking across the field. And David said, enough's enough. I'm representing... Uh, the God of Israel. And he ran. Ran towards that one, swinging and swinging. There it was. Down he went. And before anyone could even do anything, here's his sword and his head rolls that way. It's just as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, it sounds dismissive. But Goliath dismissed his life when he stood against the armies of God. So it is what it is. Just as simple as that. God didn't sweat that one. And David exhibited the power of God when he didn't sweat Goliath either. Um, he didn't look at him as being any bigger than what God looked at him as being. Just so, someone's lack of strength is not any big deal to God. Someone's incapability physically. It's nothing to him. Uh, Isaiah forty twenty nine. he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength for those ones. You don't have any capability of your own, naturally, mentally, intellectually, emotionally. That's no big deal to the Lord. Not when He wants to work in the way He wants to work. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know as Jesus walked this earth, and in the time that He's been absent, He's healed the sick, healed the blind, made the deaf to hear, made the lame to walk. We know that He raised the dead. God defies weakness as He chooses. God absolutely does not give a fig about, about your incapabilities, naturally speaking, whatever the case might be. He can bring a life to an end on a whim, and He can give life back to that body as He chooses. Saints, we understand this. He flooded the earth. The angel of the Lord slew 185,000 Assyrians overnight, and that was the angel of the Lord, a pittance of God's strength. 
God's capable. He's not hindered by physical strength. He's not scared by healthy, vibrant, capable enemies. He's not not bothered by that. Moses hadn't lost his eyesight, hadn't lost his natural vigor, it says in Deuteronomy. When he was 120 years old and the Lord said, "I'm, I'm taking you away from this place. And he died. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, Job said in Job 12.9. In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Well, it's God's hand. God is bigger than the life of all eight billion who walk the face of this earth. Physical capability. Health. It's literally no big deal to him as far as an obstacle. Should it be to us? Should it be... Something that we hold so dear or count ourselves so incapable because of the lack of it. I don't think so. World power, global issues, nothing to the Lord. It's not too big to Him. They're a big deal to people. Wealth is a big deal to people. Prestige and status and all of these things, it's a big deal. And something that people look at as this big boulder to be pushed or, or this big treasure chest to be gathered, whatever the case might be. Family, parenthood relationships and marriage and all the problems that go along with that, or just the desire of those things, they're held in great esteem. And when the Lord puts those in your path, by all means, they can mean a great deal to us. And the Lord puts them in our path and guides us in those things so that we might learn more about Him in those things. But you know what I'm talking about when I say, man, some people hold the need to be married too high. A relationship that they want so badly, they put too much into it. They seek this and it's such a big deal. I must have this. I must have this now. Or they hold this job, this career. I must have this and I I have to just dedicate every... And it's just, if I don't get this, whatever the case might be that we might sit and look at as being the ultimate achievement and the ultimate purpose of our lives. When God looks at that and says, that's a means to an end for me. You understand this, right? Your parenthood, yes, you love your children. Yes, you want to be a good father to them. Yes, you want to be a good mom to them. Yes, you should love them and hold them so dear. They should not inhibit you from winning Christ. If that focus becomes something more, as our brother Douglas has said a number of times, if something that is a good thing is placed in a spot that the Lord should hold, it becomes an idol to us. Yes, your children can become an idol to you. Your husband can become an idol to you. Don't think that that's (laughs) likely. It's not likely, perhaps, but your husband can become an idol to you. Your wife can become an idol to you. Your job can become an idol to you. Your school can become an idol. Your career, all of these things can be put in a place that's higher than what the Lord has. The Lord isn't overwhelmed by these things. He's not distracted by them, and neither should we be. Some of the things that we tend to hold as great, weighty, good or bad, God doesn't agree with those things. Uh, with that assessment, necessarily. Uh, They're small potatoes when it comes to him. When we find ourselves overwhelmed, saints, over-concerned by things, over-intimidated by things, over-just over-focused on certain things, we need to stop, step back, and think, how big is this to God? Really, how big is this to him? And we should seek his discernment, his wisdom, Sarah asked prayer that we would have the mind of Christ. We should seek to look at them the way that he does. Not dismiss them as just being inconsequential. You know what, kids? I'm not going to overexalt you. Go feed yourself. You know, go to it. You know, do whatever you want to do. That's it. 
Now, you know, it's not what I'm saying. You know, it's not what the Lord is calling us to. We don't dismiss them as though they're inconsequential, these things that we encounter, these things that are part of our lives. What can impact our eternity is definitely consequential. And when there are other lives that are involved in their eternity is impacted by what we do, that's consequential, you understand. It's not what I'm saying to just dismiss those things. But hold them in the perspective that the Lord has for us to hold them in. You're not healthy? How big is that to God? Too big an obstacle? Too big a concern for him? Is he anxious about it? 1929, this writer of that song recognized that. My anxieties go to him, Jesus, is the answer. Not too big for him. We don't become arrogant and think, I can do all this. No, no worries. Lord, take a seat. I got this. No problem. I'm going to just, yeah, I'm going to make my way right through this. No, we don't go arrogantly through life. But we go in faith believing that God is not intimidated. God is not overwhelmed. God is not overpowered by anything. And so we should not feel that way either. Now, God doesn't just look at things that are small to him. Big to us and look at him and say, nothing. That's no big deal. God does have an other hand and he does have another perspective. Uh, on the other hand, he looks at things that we might render, well, inconsequential and say, these aren't as small as you think that they are. Uh, again, not overwhelming to him, not, not intimidating to him, but maybe he wants us to look at them as not being the small thing that we think that they are. He is bigger than all things, but some very small things in our estimation can be something that he says, you need to consider these quite large. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 12. I could take you to a number of different episodes <laughs> Antique Road Show. Now, there's an old person's uh, show, uh, certainly. Um, don't make fun of me. That was on the fire station TV oftentimes. And you know what? If it was something, something that was uh, you know, guilt-free on the fire station, I wasn't going to turn it. I was glad for those days when we could watch stuff like Antiques Road Show. And so there it was, and I watched a lot of it. I've seen a bunch of them, and I loved it. You know, when some poor old guy who, you know, living on a fixed income and he bring in the blanket that was hanging off the back of his couch and the guy who is evaluating and is darn near in tears, he's like, this is one of a kind. It's a Navajo blanket that was constructed for the chiefs of the Ute people. And how much did you get it for? He's like, well, I picked it up at a garage sale or, you know, whatever the case may be. And he goes, well, you know, on a bad day, $350,000 on a good day, three quarters of a million. And the guy starts weeping, you know, it's good. I, I like those things. I enjoy those times. One man's trash is another man's treasure, we say. Uh, one thing that seems small to somebody uh, is worth actually giving some consideration to. The Lord sees those things, uh, Easy, easy examples in Mark chapter 12, that lady with the two mites, right? That widow. Something that seems no big deal, and the Lord says, this is a big deal. Take note. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many, peop- many who were rich put in much. And you know what? People can see that. And, and he made a point to say here that they put in much on a natural level. They, man, they fed the coffers of the temple. They put in much. It was, that's what keeps the lights on. And that's what, yeah, there's a great deal of, of natural provision that was there. And, and good on them if they're capable and if the Lord calls them to do that. But it says, one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. And a quadrants is a very cheap, inexpensive, it's our penny that we don't even reach down to pick up anymore. 
Find a penny, pick it up. All day long you have germs and that's all you have. There's nothing worth picking a penny up for anymore. It's not even worth the, yeah, the copper content. It's not worth it. And so that's what she put in. Two mites which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself. Come here. Guys, come here and look at this. I have something for you to see. And said to them, assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now you understand that Jesus wasn't telling them, you know what, those guys who put in much, those rich people, they should have put all of their stuff in there. That's not what he was saying. He was saying she put all of her heart into that. Does that sound kind of goopy, sappy? Uh, you know what I mean. The Lord looks at the hearts. The Lord examines the hearts. And he saw that she gave with her heart, gave everything. And, you know, they who knows what their hearts were? Jesus did. He pointed out the, the widows, not them. He says they put in out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. He didn't consider the wealthy offerings as being the grand thing. He didn't consider them as being the big thing. And for that matter, not the two mites either. But the heart that was behind it, the faith that was behind it, that was large. And it doesn't have to be great, great, great faith to mean something to God. And that should sound familiar to you. Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus says himself, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, he says. Not not huge faith. Huge faith, great faith, and powerful faith. Man, I'm grateful for that, and that's what he wants from us. But faith as a mustard seed. Something very small, he's saying, is actually something quite large. Something that we should seek. Something we should nurture. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. A small bit of faith has the capability of doing great things. And it's nothing to be dismissed. These young kids, myself, Five years old, four or five, I don't remember not being saved. I have shady memories of sitting on a bed and listening to dad and believing that I was bad and believing that Jesus died for me. And I believe that that was a saving work. It was enough for me to get it right then. I got it. I understood. Not all of it. But man, a little mustard seed was planted in my heart and that was it. The Lord said, that's a great thing. An eternally blessed thing. I'm not going to balk at something so small. Moving by faith of any measure is a huge thing in the eyes of the Lord. It's a huge thing. It's hard to see for some. It's difficult, even for God's people, to recognize how impactful simply moving by faith is. There have been a couple of different times. Yeah, I've done some, taken some big steps in regards to, well, when the Lord says, I want you to do this, and it shakes my world up, right? You, you understand that. You've had those things in your life, perhaps, where he says, I want you to literally move, or I want you to literally do this or do that, and it, it's a world-changing thing to you. Big things. And we can look at that and say, ah, that's a pretty big deal. You packed up your family and you moved, or you, you quit this job, or, or whatever the case might be. There are other times, just in a simple day, where... Here's a stupid example. I was walking one time on a fire. It was no big deal. It was smoke coming out, and we recognized that the, well, there was smoke coming out of a, a, a ceiling. And I was on this with Uncle Rod, and I went walking around the side just to do kind of a lap around the building just to make sure nothing was going on. The occupant said, yeah, I smell smoke inside, and there's just a little bit of smoke coming out of the ceiling. 
No big deal. And I went walking through here and I hadn't even put all my gear on. My gloves weren't even on. I went to put on my glove and I dropped my glove and I went like this and I fell. Man, you can... We oftentimes say, you know, that sounds crazy. I don't want you to think I'm crazy. I don't have to tell you I'm not crazy. The Lord told me, stop! And I went, yeah! And I literally fell over because I lost my balance. Because all I was doing was just going to go like this on the air conditioner. Reach down and grab my glove and pick it up and put it on. And he said, stop! So I went, hop! (laughs) And rolled over and flopped over. I think Uncle Rod came around the house right then, but I don't remember because I remember feeling pretty stupid in front of him. But as I laid over on the ground, I thought, well, that was dumb. And then at the bottom of that AC unit, I saw an arc, an electrical arc, zapping from the bottom of that AC unit into the ground. And the drop line where the feed was coming off of the pole went into, landed up against the house because we had an ice storm, etc., etc. I won't go on any further. The Lord told me in that moment, stop! (laughs) And in just a single moment, He kept me from being hurt really bad, if not killed by that he's done that for me a hundred times there have been other times where he gives me a feeling in the moment or says a single word in the moment that makes me not go into a store but simply turn around and go elsewhere i don't always get the fruit out of that i don't always get to see the fruit out of it let me say it that way i don't always get to know what it is but i have enough experience with the holy spirit that i recognize maybe i didn't see the ark in this one but i know that there was something that I was not supposed to be a part of in that situation. Uh, moving by faith, even in the smallest of things, saints, is a big thing. And the Lord takes that quite seriously. Uh, the rich put in much, and that was big and easy to see. But just doing something small, a little contribution, is big to her, but something small. The Lord does something rather large in those things. Sometimes what God views as big doesn't mean that he views it as good either. I'm not going to, for time's sake, to take, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I'm just going to tell you that, for example, you have the tongue, words. James 5 tells us the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, and those great things don't mean, man, that's great. It boasts big impact. See how great a forest fire, a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, and it goes on to describe the big things that our small words can say. The Lord says, this is something that might seem like nothing to you, but the potential is there for it to be large and something that you should be concerned about. Ever stick your foot in your mouth? Sure, it's embarrassing. Ever say something to damage a relationship? Yep, I sure have. <laughs> damage a relationship that... Well, there have been some that perhaps haven't been healed 100% or that I had to do a lot of damage control in order to fix those things. Yes, your words can do some dangerous things. Proverbs 13 tells us, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And there are countless other passages that tell us just how big a deal and just how Great a concern we should have about something so small as what we say. Understand this. Freedom of speech is something that so many people hold dear. And I think that, well, perhaps we should exercise our freedom to be silent uh, more often than not. Uh, Jesus' thoughts are expressed in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 when he says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it. In the day of judgment. And 
something so small as our words can do great, large things. Um, of course, we understand that that, well, that's applied in regards to sin, right? Sin being the biggest deal. Our words can sometimes express what's in our mind and in our hearts and those sinful thoughts that we have, those sinful positions that we take. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal to us. Ah, this is just something small. Ah, this is just a little pet thing. Or, oh, this is something I just keep to myself, and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to go very far on this either. But you understand that what we might see or want to see as small, God says it's something that needs to have a greater concern to you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. How big is the lump? Well, how big a sin did it take for Adam to leaven the entire lump of mankind? He ate a fruit for Pete's sake. He ate a fruit, we understand. How large was that sin? Doesn't seem really big. But a little leaven permeated the entirety of mankind. And here we are. Here we are still dealing with that today. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus spread to all men, because all sinned, Romans 5, 12 tells us. Saints, something that the Lord says is big, even if we want to think that it is small, inconsequential, not a big deal. When the Lord says, consider this something large, consider it something grand, we should recognize that. Likewise, when he says that something is no big deal, when we look at it and it seems large and it seems incredibly consequential, we need to look at what he says. Look at how he feels about it. And so, so we come back to our opening passage there. We don't know what a day is going to bring. Uh, We don't know what we might encounter. We can encounter the familiar things. We can encounter just a mundane day. Uh, I was (laughs) telling some tales here. We were sitting down at Thanksgiving the other day, and my mom was asking my mom-in-law. They were having their conversation, and mom looks at mom and says, So do you guys do anything... And then she was going to go on, and then Mom Singh says, no. <laughs> you know? Didn't even give her a chance to finish. You know, sometimes, I'm not saying her life is mundane. I'm saying that that's what she expressed. She said, you know, we pretty much do the same thing every day. There's nothing wrong with that as the Lord leads you. Retirement is intended to be something that's putting work away, right? Your life might be familiar and it might be mundane. It might be the same old boredom to you. Or the mundane and familiar might be the same old Day after day, struggle, hurt, pain, anxiety, the stress, the hair you're pulling out. Uh, The day might bring a life change to you, something new and exciting, perhaps. Or it might bring tragedy to you. It might be whatever moves the needle. It could be good or to the bad. We've experienced all of those things. When those things come, it's important, whether it's mundane or whether it's something life-changing. It's important we take the time to consider once again. How big is this to God? Or contrarily, how small is it to Him? Is this a big deal to Him? Is this nothing to Him? Is it somewhere in between? And how does He want me to view this? How big should this be to me? Should I look at it from His perspective and think, in the whole scheme of things, this is no big deal? Or should I think to myself, in the whole scheme of things, this is something rather huge, even though no one else would look at this as being so. I need to take it from the Lord and not give it more than it's due and not ignore what God would have me to deal with. 
Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The second half of that verse speaks to his grandness. A thousand years is nothing, nothing to the Lord. I mean, as far as just time goes, a thousand years, nothing at all. But you look at it on the other side, and he says, one day is as a thousand years. Don't dismiss that part. One day has an eternal potential for impact. One single day, every single day that you live your life has the potential for eternal consequences. Understand that a thousand years to him, he's big enough that a thousand years is this big. But also understand that what we do in this single day has great, great, great consequences. And he lets us know that one day is a big deal to God. So make yours count, child of God. Spend your day seeking the mind of the Lord. Spend your day walking with him. Spend your day looking for his mind and obeying him because it's going to impact an eternity's worth of days. Have you not heard? Have you not known the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. We trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. I'm grateful for that, that we can look at him for his direction, his perspective. Saints, he is big and you are not. And you're going to encounter things that are going to seem grand to you and things that you think are not any big deal at all. Let's not think great what God considers nothing, and let's not consider small what God says is great. Redeem the time, spend your days looking at things as God would have you look at, and impact your eternity as a result.